As Doug mentioned earlier, we are glad that uh, you have decided to be here if you're visiting with us. As you know, this is a very special week for us here at Dalreda as we're starting our vacation Bible school. Uh, from all the decorations, I hope that you're getting excited about it, uh, just as we've been talking about it, whether you're going to be in here for the adult class or you're going to uh, be a kid that's going to be a part of some of our skits, or even if you're an adult and you just want to go to the skits and be a part of the, the lessons that are going to be there, I hope that you're excited about it. hope that uh, you have the opportunity to reach out to some of your friends, maybe family members, people here in town, uh, to encourage them to come and be a part of this. Maybe they haven't stepped foot in uh, our doors before. Maybe they uh, are not familiar with the church. Maybe this is something new. This is a great opportunity, something different uh, that is outside of the norm for us, uh, maybe for our friends to come and be a part and learn the scriptures and see them in a different light than maybe they have before. And so I'm going to encourage each one of you, invite someone to be here with us tonight, uh, whether it's someone that will be here in the adult classes or maybe uh, some of the family members that you know, uh, some other younger families that have kids, that to invite them to come be a part of this and learn stories from the scriptures. So that's my challenge as we start off, uh, is to think about that. And before we get into our lesson, let's pray together. Lord our God, we come before you thanking you for the day that you have blessed us with. The opportunity that we have to be here to worship you and to lift you up, knowing that you are the creator of all things, and in your hands is all the world. Be with us as we examine your scriptures, help us to study them and share them with others. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this to you in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at this uh, book today, looking at a couple of different examples as we're going to be studying about a journey with Jesus. That's the theme for our lesson, and uh, I titled it that way because I thought it'd be appropriate as we look at uh, some of these different topics that we're going to be examining through our VBS. We're going to be looking at uh, different journeys that people are going to go on. And I don't want to spoil too much of what you will learn later on this week, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, uh, but we're going to be looking at some different characters in the Bible that went on various journeys. They had different experiences with God. They had different opportunities uh, to get out of their comfort zone and go do something new. When I think about this topic as we were kind of brainstorming, trying to decide what do we want to do for VBS, what is the angle that we want to come at uh, this time, uh, I think Mike was already the first to the punch. Mike uh, Moody, as he was thinking about what if we went with the theme of camping? Now there's a couple of us, and I don't think I've shared this story, Mike, uh, but there was a couple of us that decided it'd be a really good idea to go uh, whitewater kayaking. So Mark Thornton, Derek Wilson, Mike Moody, and myself, we decided uh, last year to go uh, whitewater kayaking. If you're not familiar with what that is, that's the boats where you sit down in them and you have the, uh, the skirt that's around you that is hopefully to keep all the water out, unless you're upside down the water and have to get out. But we decided to go do that. And I think because of that, maybe uh, in some other opportunities that some of us have had to go and, and be outdoors that we thought, wow, this would be appropriate uh, because... I think within each one of us, there's somewhat of an adventurer. You know, we look at our normal life, we look at the things that we go through, and, and we think, well, let's go do something different. Now, that may be getting in a whitewater kayak and going down a river uh, where there is potential, you know, rocks sticking out, and you're going to be upside down in the water. Maybe that's adventure to you. Maybe it's just going somewhere different. Maybe to get out of your home and, and get in the car and go somewhere that you haven't gone before. Uh, go on a vacation. Go uh, to the mountains. Go to the lake. Go and do something different. I think we all have within us some kind of desire to be an adventurer. And, and why is that? Why do we like journeys? Why do we like going somewhere? And even for the people that's like, I just don't, I would just rather stay at home. There's still something with us that we want to do something new. 
There's something about an adventure, there's something about a journey that calls us out of our norm to go and do something more. Now we see that in our physical lives, we see that in the, the experiences that we have, and I think it is highly appropriate, even in our spiritual lives, to examine our journey. As we're going to be looking at this topic of a journey with Jesus, I want to look at it from a physical side. I want to think about it from, gospels, uh, from the Gospels and look at it from Matthew's account of how he's going to describe groups of people, where he describes them as crowds that are going to follow Jesus around. And I want to look at three specific moments in Jesus' life for us to, to put ourselves in their shoes, to go on an adventure, to go on a journey, to find out what were they watching as they were watching Jesus, and let's see if we can draw some application to us. And so we're going to examine it from Matthew's perspective. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, three main stories. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 starts the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water of baptism. He has the spirit that descends upon him. He goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he comes out of the wilderness and he goes straight into the synagogue and he goes and he starts preaching to people. He takes that phrase that we're all too familiar with, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I think that single phrase is very loaded. I think there's a lot that's going on there and as you go on this journey with Jesus, you really find out what does that mean when he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 23, it says that he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Now this same set of verses you're actually going to find throughout the story of Jesus. So if you want to go on a, a personal journey as you study your scriptures later on, go and find different times in the book of Matthew where he mentions these similar things. Jesus went and taught, and he healed, and people were surprised. They were astonished at what he did and what he said. We're going to be looking at a few of those examples, but this is one of the first ones. Jesus comes into his ministry, and he starts doing all these things. Now, he's going to center the majority of his ministry in Galilee, but you have people coming from all around to come and listen and watch and see what is Jesus going to do. I want you to be a part of the crowd. I want you to find yourself into this. When you're reading these stories, when we're talking about them today, I just want you to imagine if you were there watching these things happening in front of you. First off, we think, well, how'd you get there in the first place? If there's a man going around doing all these great things, saying all these great things, I think it'd be very tempting for us to get out of our comfort, our comfort zones and say, I'm going to go find out what is this about. Even if we think we know everything, even if we think we're comfortable, maybe we want to go question it. We want to go find out the validity. You know, what is this man doing that he's getting other crowds? Maybe somebody grabs us by the arm and say, you have to go listen to this guy. Something is going on here. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you think, nah, this is... He's healing people? He's doing all these things? Man, I gotta find out. Is he, is, where's this coming from? Maybe one of the people that were healed, they came by you and said, you gotta meet this guy. You remember me? I wasn't able to walk. You remember me? I wasn't able to talk. You gotta go meet this Jesus. And so maybe you approach Jesus, you're part of the crowd, maybe it's the, the mob mentality, you come walking in and you find this guy, and I don't know if he meets your expectation. 
I don't know when you come across Jesus of Nazareth that you really understood when you walked into the room, this is the one? I don't know, maybe there's something about the appearance. Maybe you had an expectation in your mind that just didn't fit exactly. I don't know, but you're part of the crowd. You're curious. You're excited. You want to know what's going on. Who is this Jesus? And so you follow him, and you're part of the crowd, and you go, and you end up at this mountainside. And you watch him as he goes up onto the mountain, and he sits down, and, and there's a crowd around, and so you all stand, and you all listen. And we have what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The next three chapters of Matthew, Jesus teaches the people. I think if you were to take that phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I think, of course, that maybe is a tagline for everything that Jesus says. But I think one of the main things that you'll find in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is going to deal with what does it really mean to repent? So you come in, you're expecting a lot of great things from this Jesus, and, and he sits down and he begins to teach. And what he teaches almost seems revolutionary, but it, it seems so familiar at the same time. If you haven't recently read through the Sermon on the Mount, I would encourage you later to do that. It's about 100 verses. You can sit down very quickly and read through it. But what Jesus challenges his hearers, and as you approach this mountainside and you listen to Jesus speak, he starts challenging you to be the right kind of person. We begin with the Beatitudes, and it's this entrance way of, are you really ready to receive this? Because if you receive these words and you actually want to follow through, be aware because you're probably going to be persecuted. Now, I don't know if your curiosity, I don't know if your interest at this point, if Jesus starts mentioning these teachings, he says, if you decide to live this life, you may be reviled if you want to live like me. I don't know if you started, you know, going to the back of the crowd at this point. I don't know if you pushed through to get a little bit closer. Do I really hear that? Then he goes on, he starts talking about, all right, are you salt and are you light? Do you have the right thing about yourself? He says, you know, the salt, if it loses its taste, is it worth anything? It's this inner quality about you. If you're really going to take these things and write them on the tablet of your heart, does it change who you are? And the inward quality, does it then come out externally where you're going to be a light to the world? People are going to see your convictions, and are you ready to, to really do that? Are you ready for people to look at you and possibly give glory to God? This is how Jesus begins this sermon. He then transitions, and he says, look, now understand that what I'm saying to you may seem a little off. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Because I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You're standing in the crowd and you're listening to Jesus. Maybe you have a Jewish upbringing. Maybe some of the things that he said before brought you in. You heard this term, the kingdom of heaven, and, and you really want to understand, what does he mean, kingdom of heaven? And why am I supposed to change in order to be a part of it? And he's telling me now that, look, what I'm telling you is actually going to align quite nicely with what you've heard before. These things may sound revolutionary, but they're also familiar to you. And Jesus then goes in time after time throughout this sermon, and he gets you to challenge your mind about what's happening internally and what's happening externally. Sin's not just the things that you do, but it's things about you. It's what is on your heart, what's in your mind. What do you think about the world? What do you think about other people? Now, don't just do things just so that people will watch you. That's not the kind of righteousness that you need. Do not practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, but by your Father who is in secret. 
So whether you give or whether you pray or whether you fast, whatever those things are, make sure you're doing it for God. Now, it's quite obvious that if you're really convicted about God, that people will see it. You will become a light to the world. But don't do it just so you can have the glory from others. Do it so that you can be approved by God. So judge yourself so that you may help others. Decide what are you going to do. Which path are you going to go on? Are you going to go on the broad path that leads to destruction? Or are you going to go on the narrow way that leads to eternal life? Are you going to be a good tree that produces good fruit? Or are you going to be a good, or are you going to be a bad tree that produces bad fruit? Maybe you're even thinking about the end of times. He says, maybe you, you think about that time where you'll stand before God. Will he say, enter in my good and faithful servant? Or will he say, depart from me, I never knew you? How are you going to build your house? Are you going to dig down deep and build it on a rock? Or are you going to allow it to, to be built on sand that's just not stable? Are you going to be wise or are you going to be unwise? Are you going to take what Jesus is saying and are you going to live it out? And as you go through this sermon, he lays it out quite nicely. You get to the end and it almost feels like an invitation. Okay, well, what are you going to do with yourself? So you just sat there, you listened to the teachings of Jesus, and he just challenged you to be a better person, to actually seek after righteousness, seek after the kingdom of heaven, and not after yourself. And what is your reaction as you went on this journey? You came with a crowd, and, and you approached him. If you go to Matthew chapter 7, and look at verse 28. Look at what the crowd did. Look at what they thought. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them one who had authority and not as their scribes. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I believe Jesus has the authority to call the shots. Now it's not that he's creating something new as we saw before, but he's challenging us to be truly spiritual, which is to think like God thinks. And they were astonished. From this point on, as you continue to read Matthew, Jesus goes from the mountain and he begins to heal person after person, publicly, privately. People are watching, people are astonished, they're seeing Jesus teaching these things, then they're also seeing him do these things to back it up. I like in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Jesus crosses over into the other city across the sea, and in verse 2 it says, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes and, and those that were with him said, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. What is true authority from God's perspective? It's being able to back it up with the power of God. I think that's what's great about Jesus, that if you were just there on the mountain and, and you didn't watch him do anything else, you would say, okay, these teachings are unique. There's something about them that, you know, they, they challenge me to be a better person. But they don't just challenge us to be a better person. They challenge us to be a God person. And Jesus comes in and he says, let me show you who God really is. He is someone that's able to take these teachings and live them out. He says, what's easier, to be able to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? I have the authority to do both. That's true authority from God. 
So you're watching Jesus, you're listening to him, and he's challenging you. What kind of person are you going to be? And we end in uh, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, and it says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I think Matthew gets caught up on this. I think he's trying to show us something as we go on this journey. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus saw these crowds that are following him and wanting more, realizing there's more to life. And he has compassion on them. He wants to help them both spiritually and physically. So for whatever reason, you follow Jesus. You're going on this journey and you're part of the crowd. What's the next major time we come across? I think you find it in Matthew chapter 13. The second major section I want us to look at is in Matthew chapter 13. Look at verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now, at one point, you had approached Jesus. You've been kind of following him around in this trek around Galilee. He would get on a boat, and he'd go to the other side. So you may come around, or you may get on a boat. You're trying to find Jesus. Finally, the crowd catches up with him, and he goes, and he gets in a boat. And you're like, man, here he goes again. He's, he's going to be gone. He's going to go across the sea. We've got to go find him over there. But he only goes out a little distance. Everybody sits down on the beach as he stands up in this boat and begins to teach. Now, you got to like just looking and imagining what this would really be like. You've watched him on a mountain. You sat there, and you listened to him. Now he's sitting in a boat, and he's going to talk to all these people. And so you sit down to listen. Remember, as I told you, one of the main phrases of Jesus' ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's that next part that I want us to think about, the kingdom of heaven. What does that really look like? Uh, in the college wing on Sunday mornings, uh, there's a class right now on the parables. Nick did a fantastic job this morning talking about uh, kingdom, uh, parables concerning the kingdom. If you don't have a class that you've been sitting in or you're trying to figure out which one, I would encourage you to go in there as they're going to be thinking about some of these parables because the way that Jesus decides to teach is a little different than what we just saw when he was up on the mountain. I don't know if the crowd has grown. I don't know if it's just a Jewish crowd and now you have maybe some Gentiles that are coming in. Maybe you just have this wide variety of people that Jesus is aware of that and he's going to start teaching in parables. Now, I know for the majority of the people in this room that you're quite familiar with all these parables. You know about the sower. You know about the wheat and the tares. You know about this pearl of great price. You're familiar with these. We've talked about them in sermons and very recently, or maybe you just sat in class this morning as we addressed some of them from this chapter. But what I like about Matthew chapter 13 is this is just the parable chapter. If you're wanting an in-depth study about how to study parables, go to Matthew 13. Jesus tells you exactly how to do it. What are they all about? What is their purpose? And that's what I want us to think about right now. In verse 10, he says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now you are just sitting here and you're listening to all these and you're trying to really digest Jesus. Why, why are you talking about this story of a pearl of great price? Why are you talking about this sower? What does this mean? The disciples kind of stepped to the side, some of those more uh, intimate relationship with him. They said, I, we don't get it. 
Why are you talking like this? You were very blunt over here, you know, saying that, you know, you have heard that it was said to those of old, do not commit murder. But I say whoever has anger in his heart has already committed murder. But now you're talking about this sower. Why are you doing this? Verse 11, and he answered them, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, yet lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now we have the inside track. Jesus is telling the disciples, look, I've spoken to you quite bluntly. In other passages, he'll even say that, uh, that some of them will challenge him, Jesus, stop speaking in, in, it seems like code, stop speaking in parables, just be blunt with this. And at times, Jesus was like, okay, I'll be blunt, I'm going to go die, but don't worry, I'll be raised from the dead. But for maybe some of us, as we go on this journey with Jesus, we need to really see him from a different angle. Maybe there are times in our lives where we just allow our heart to be hardened, where we can't really see Jesus for who he is. Now think about this. You have these crowds that are following Jesus around and he's healing people in front of them. You would think it would be obvious to say he must be unique. There's something about this Jesus. If he's able to heal people and he's able to say that you have forgiveness of sins, he must be, dare I say, God? (laughs) Or at least, you know, directed by God? But how is it that you had these crowds that are following Jesus, watching him heal people, and they still don't get it? Why has their heart become hardened? I think it's obvious maybe in our own personal lives that we do the same thing. We take for granted that we have the word of God, that we get to examine, we get to to share, we get to really understand some of these teachings that they didn't know. But if you were in the crowd and you're hearing Jesus say this, maybe you put this block between you and, and him and you just think, I don't know. You're really asking a lot. And I think it comes out in some of the parables. The one that we looked at in uh, in class this morning was highly appropriate. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a a hidden treasure in a field. And upon finding it, goes and sells everything that he has in order to buy the field. That takes guts. That takes work. It takes ability. I think the times in our lives where we don't see Jesus, where we don't really appreciate the journey that we're on is that we're not willing to put in the effort to be what he wants us to be. And sometimes it is a story that maybe needs to take our feet out from under us. Maybe sometimes we wish that Jesus would just speak to us a little bit more plainly and maybe say, Billy, it's time to step up. As you go on this journey with Jesus and you're watching him and you're understanding what is this kingdom of heaven This kingdom of heaven is worth dying for. Jesus thought so. Jesus himself will eventually die for this kingdom. Are you willing to follow him for it? Because people that are convinced of this, you will 
take up your cross and you'll follow him. You will, you will die to yourself the, so that you may live for him. You will give all that you've got in order that you may have it. And you may not really understand it, but it'll take this work. It's okay. That's what Jesus wants from us. Jesus wants us to challenge ourselves. And as we approach Jesus on this journey, I, I think we, we come the same way that they did in Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. How can you watch the things play out in front of you and you take offense at Jesus? But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You will find in the story of Jesus, many people may believe in him, but don't follow him. And maybe it's in those times of unbelief in our lives where Jesus seems so far away. Maybe we stepped out of the crowd and we no longer wanted to follow him. But those times where we understand, those times where we really get it, I think you'll find an example of that in Matthew 21 as we go to our last example. Up until this point, we've been part of the crowd around the Sea of Galilee. We've been following him, maybe in a boat, maybe on foot. Maybe we've been fed by him. Maybe we've watched these things from a distance. Maybe we've just come into this journey. Whatever it is, we are now going to follow him all the way to Jerusalem. Jesus is leaving, and it's like the snowball effect. He's going to Jerusalem, and for his disciples, they know what's awaiting him. But for us, maybe we don't know. We don't really know what to expect of this Jesus, but we have come to the conclusion he is unique. He is the son of David. He is the one that has power and ability to do all the things that he does. I like Matthew chapter 21 because this is when he comes into the city. We get the behind the scenes of how he's going to come in, but I want us to pick up in verse 6. It says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put him on their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus, the, uh, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Maybe we've come to the conclusion Jesus is a prophet. He is the, the son of God. He does all these mighty works. Maybe we've walked all the way to Jerusalem to see him to go and sit on the, the throne of David. We've seen him, hey, if you're able to, to cast out all these, these demons, maybe you're able to, to sit on the throne of David and, and conquer all the nations. Maybe you are the Messiah, the, the powerful one. So they're following him and they're given this mighty entrance and Jesus doesn't walk into the palace. He walks into the temple. Now, if you think about the temple complex and how many people could be gathered there, he goes in and, and he starts throwing over tables. He starts pushing out all the people that don't really get it. He's speaking up and he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. 
This Messiah, this person that you've been following, he's now coming to the temple and he didn't go into the palace. He is now teaching us where to find God. And look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the crowd crying out in the temple, Hosanna, the son of David, they worshiped Jesus. They fell down and they they extolled God. They said, Jesus, we'll, we'll die for you. We'll do everything for you. No, that's not what they say. They were indignant. They saw the things that he did. They heard his teachings. They connected the dots as as they were thinking about maybe he is the son of God. But for the, the Pharisees that didn't really get it, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these people are saying to you? Jesus said, yes. Have you never heard out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out in the city in Bethany and lodged there. Up until this point, where are you with Jesus? Have you come to the conclusion that he is the son of David? He is the son of God. He is the one that is able to do all these great, wonderful, mighty works. He is the one that is able to save us, cast out our sins. He is able to bring us into a new life. Have you come to that conclusion? Have you realized who he is? And you've gone on this journey and you realized he is in complete control. Or have you stepped away And you thought, there's no way this man can do it. When Jesus comes in Jerusalem, he will die by the end of the week. By the end of the week, his disciples will leave him. His apostles will flee. Some will be standing at the foot of the cross. Many people that are there may listen to him. By the time we get to Acts chapter 1, there's 150 people that are gathered together. How do you narrow down from a crowd that followed him from one city to the next and followed him all the way to Jerusalem? How do you end up with a few scattered sheep? Where are you with your journey with Jesus today? When you hear his teachings, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, if I cast out demons by the the power of God, then know that the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, where are we in relation to it? If you know what it takes, you know what it is, are you willing to be in it and to be a part of it? Are you gonna be standing at the foot of the cross knowing that you have forgiveness of sins? knowing that the Son of God just died for you, but he will be raised, and he will sit at the right hand of God waiting for us to be there with him. If you're on this journey, are you willing to die for him? Are you willing to give up everything so that you can be a part of him? It's the greatest adventure that we'll ever go on. And Jesus asked us to give up all so that we can have eternal life waiting for us. So my challenge to you and my question for you is what will you do with it today? Have you left him or are you willing to follow him? If you've stepped away and you need encouragement, we're here for you. I know we say that as we transition into the invitation, but it's true that anyone that has asked for prayers, that you know how much of an encouragement it is when you have people wrap their arms around you and say, it's okay, we can do this together. You have that ability this morning to let us know so that we may help you. 
Maybe you haven't started this walk. You're really ready to give your life over to, to God. You can die to your sins. You can take up your cross. You can be buried with Christ in baptism, be united with him, knowing that you have forgiveness of sins and you can rise to walk in the newness of life, knowing you have eternal life. What will you do on this journey as we stand and as we sing?